What's up, everyone? Welcome to another edition of the Team Turnbuckle Wrestling Podcast on the IB Sports Podcast feed. This is going to be an AEW NXT edition. Myself and my co-host, I am Keith Fleming, your host. My co-host and tag team partner, Ron Tinsley, actually recorded uh, two episodes tonight. We did one earlier on SmackDown Raw, and we also discussed a little bit of the Backlash pay-per-view, getting Ron L's uh, thoughts on that, uh, even though I did a pay-per-view recap earlier in this week. Ron L, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing fantastic, and I'm proud of us for being able to bang these two out because, you know, I felt bad for last week not being able to keep us all caught up, so uh, it was important to get this done. Dude, do not uh, feel bad. This does not pay the bills, but we do this because we love it, uh, and we also want to, you know, continue to provide content uh, content for our listeners and also for the, the IB Sports podcast feed. Uh, before we officially start, I just want to again remind everyone that the IB Sports podcast feed is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Anchor. Please be sure to subscribe, especially on iTunes. You can follow on uh, Spotify, um, rate and review on iTunes. Only if you're going to be kind, though, please five stars, kind reviews. Uh, finally, you can follow IB Sports on Twitter, Instagram. Join the Facebook group that has over 4,000 members. The Facebook group does have a premium membership that allows you to post without approval of an admin. You can be commissioner for the day, levy fines, receive free gambling picks from Alan, our gambling guru from the backdoor cover, and much more. Uh, let's get right into it. It was a great night of wrestling for wrestling fans on Wednesday, like one of the best two hours, two shows head to head. I can remember in a long time. I actually said at the end of the last podcast that it kind of reminded me of the nitro raw days, the two wonderful main events on two channels, uh, you know, going on at the same time. Yeah, no, it was absolutely amazing. And I, excuse me. And I saw that the ratings were even up like, I believe it was more than one and a half million between both shows. So, yeah, it was an amazing night. They, they deserve the following for sure. We're going to start with AEW. And believe it or not, the tag team champs were defending the titles on AEW. It's been one of the few complaints me and Ron L have had about AEW as a whole was once they put the titles on Hangman Page and Kenny Omega – they have not been defended on a regular basis, but they opened up against the Natural Nightmares, which they've really built up on AEW Dark. I'm not going to lie with us having to follow so many shows to do podcasts on. I haven't followed AEW Dark, but I read some of that stuff uh, after their match took place. It was a good back-and-forth match. last about 15, 20 minutes. It was punctuated by last call on QT Marshall. Uh, he was slightly distracted by Allie, his, I guess, girlfriend. She was at the top of the ramp. Uh, her and Brandy were arguing, particularly after the match, when uh, Allie came down to ringside. And I, I, I guess this match was both to show that the tag champs are a cohesive unit. They're amazing. Man, I, I just every time I watch Kenny Omega, I'm reminded how good of a wrestler he is and, again, how – I feel like AEW could be using him more, but it feels like they're just sowing seeds to this Brandy and Alley feud. Do you think that was the purpose of this, or, or am I right that it was kind of twofold? No, I actually do agree with that because it's quite obvious because I saw um, I, too, 
am guilty of not watching dark. And there was some point later in the show that made me think of that. Maybe I should start checking highlights, but it does look like there is a little bit of dissent there. And they had had some in the the pre-match interview from last week. So seeing that there's a little more, I wouldn't mind seeing that because, you know, they've been ever expanding their uh, women's division. And I'm actually kind of really excited about what they're doing with it right now. Speaking of which, the following match was Abaddon versus Anna Jay. Now, Anna Jay came in as a highly touted free agent. The match itself wasn't much of uh, a story because Abaddon steamrolled right over Anna Jay. But during the match, Cole Cabana was given an envelope where we later found out he will be teamed with Brody Lee next week. And... Anna Jay was invited and accepted into the fold after the match. Now, you and I had talked about uh, a slight concern of what would happen with Brody Lee. And then we had saw that as he was coming after Colt Cabana, he wasn't going away and his storyline was going forward. So seeing that he's got this match with Colt Cabana, it looks like he's adding a woman to the Dark Order. Are you excited about what they're doing with the the Dark Order right now? I'm very excited. I I think we have talked about this before, that our one complaint sort of with the the Dark Order, even when they added Brody Lee as, you know, the leader and had that reveal was the fact that there just wasn't any names in the Dark Order with the exception of Brody Lee. It was a bunch of jobbers. And I, I knew that was kind of the gimmick, you know, was you had to kind of be a loser to fall into the Dark Order. And that's kind of how, you know, most cults work is you usually have stuff going on and then it, it makes you make a bad decision and, and join the wrong group. But I'm really excited to see that Colt Cabana, uh, Cabana is joining the group. Or, I mean, I, I guess it's not official, but it sure does look like it. It's exciting that it looks like they're bringing in a woman. And hopefully they will continue to build this. And if they do it right, Brody Lee doesn't even really need championships to be a huge factor, you know, in AEW. And I don't, I don't want to make this comparison, you know, apple for apple. It's more like apples to oranges, but he can court, sort of be the undertaker of the AEW, a, a sideshow, if you will, to the titles, but still an important storyline, you know, week to week, month to month, pay-per-view to pay-per-view. Yeah, I agree, and I'm very happy to see that there's still a good of areas where they can expand and that they've unmasked uh, quite a few of the Dark Order as well, get away from the hidden faces. I love it. So next, my, my favorite guy on AEW right now is MJF. He has been, you know, we talked about how he left for a little while. He had the injury. He has came back better than ever. We saw last week, we didn't do an AEW show, so we didn't talk about this, but he had an interaction with Billy Gunn during his match with Jungle Boy. Or no, excuse me, actually it was the week after his match with Jungle Boy. But uh, MJF shows, you know, again, just why he's the hill of the future. He was, you know, methodically breaking down the larger gun, uh, winning using his $60,000 pinky ring, which is just I mean, again, not only does he, you know, he say he's better than you, he's, he's starting to, you know, the expensive clothes. It's awesome to see this guy basically morph into Ric Flair before our eyes because that's who he reminds me of more than any other wrestler. And I know that sounds like hyperbole. It's supposed to be. Uh, after the match, MJF and Wardlow got into the face of the Jurassic Express. 
It causes a huge melee. Most of the talents had to break the two groups apart. You actually called this, I want to say like a month ago when we first were starting to hype up the Jungle Boy MJF match that it appeared that this is where we were headed is, you know, probably a, a, a Jungle Boy Luchasaurus versus MJF and, uh, you know, uh, Wardlow. Do you think that this is the best way they can be using these two young guys or should they separate them and not have them feuding so much when they're both kind of on the rise? Um, well, considering way to keep base thing going with Jungle Boy and, you know, MJF. That pinky ring that I think he won from a tournament uh, last fall and they said worth $60,000 and it's everywhere he goes. And it's not that he even really needs to use it to win, but he just does in you know, That's what, a, <laughs> it's what a classic type heel does. They had, um, I, to uh, go on this further where Luchasaurus and Wardlow are going to be facing off week in a Jack style match so excited to see that very excited Um, we we had uh, needing to and we're getting it so I'm totally this right now so following that, Dr. Britt Baker got interviewed by Tony Schiavone, but you get, she gets kidnapped by Big Swole, who drove her away. She's found later by her assistant Rita in a dumpster. Baker then cuts a scathing promo telling Swole that she promises to make her pay, even monetarily, if it's the last thing she does. Do you like that injury Dr. Britt Baker is basically just building the women's division without even needing the title. Man, I just must be in a day that I'm going to say a bunch of stuff that's going to make people kind of roll their eyes or go, seriously, you're comparing this to this. I, I compared earlier in the Facebook group, Bailey's heel turn and why it be, you know, is so successful to Hulk Hogan's NWO turn. Cause they were both, you know, just red meat baby faces who, you know, no one imagined would turn heel Uh, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, this reminds me a lot of how Stone Cold Steve Austin became Stone Cold Steve Austin. For those that don't know, he went to ECW, uh, a a momentary stop from WCW to WWF. He got injured. Well, they allowed him, Paul Heyman running ECW, to cut promos, and it's sort of where the Stone Cold character evolved from, And he ended up never really wrestling with ECW because WWE saw, wow, this guy's really talented. They knew what he could do in the ring, signed him. And then it was no coincidence that when he broke his neck or almost broke his neck, I guess he technically cracked it. uh, They did the same thing where they had him prominently displayed on TV. He was able to still be involved in storylines, really carry the show, develop his character. And then that way, when he came back, he went right into winning the IC title, and then it was like not six months later he was the world champ. I feel the same way with Britt Baker here where I talked about my only complaint with the women's division. The matches have been great when they've given them time as there's not really a superstar that I care about. I care about Britt Baker a tremendous amount. She's fantastic on the mic. She can actually wrestle in the ring, and this is wonderful that they're kind of letting her – continue to evolve as a character so when she is right 
I have no doubt she will be in a title match very quickly, and it'll make sense because she didn't just disappear and then come back and have to build her back up. They continue to build her up through the injury, and she'll come back seamlessly and hopefully will be the champion before the end of 2020. Yeah, I can agree. I mean, we've talked about how high we are on her just because she just – she seems to be – have all the – checks all the boxes that you need. She's got the personality. She can move in the ring, and God, can she talk. That woman can talk. And she does it well. So I wouldn't be surprised if she's a champion before the year is out. And just one more thing before we move on to the next part of AEW. I have to poke fun at AEW a little bit because, again, everything is stolen in wrestling. Did you notice how Big Swole literally did The Undertaker when I believe it was a casket? Uh, what, what do you call the uh, the car, the hearse? He got in the same exact thing of where are we going? Uh, oh, yeah, 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 I mean, word for word, <laughs> it was a copy of that skit from The Undertaker back in the late 90s, which, like I said, you know, it, it's nothing against AEW, but it's just, you know, if it was the other way around, I can promise you people would be calling out, making fun of it. Uh, wrestling is a circle. Um Cody continued his open challenge for the TNT championship. It has become like week in and week out. One of the best parts of AEW's weekly television. It's why me and you told people don't get upset when Cody went over Lance Archer. Not only did it make sense, but it was the right decision because we knew he could put on great matches with a ton of different opponents. An interesting twist this week was it was going to be somebody not on the AEW roster, well, it was former NWA TV champ Ricky Starks was his opponent. Once again, Cody put over his talent, which is really cool considering this guy was not even in AEW. I was a little worried that it was going to be more of a squash match than some of his others. He would end up retaining the title. After the match, Jake Hager was showing, watching intently after missing his shot to capture the belt last week. I know that they have announced that at Fighter Fest, these two, Hager and Cody, are going to fight. So the first part of my question is, are you excited about that? And the second is, is Ricky Starks not affiliated with NWA at all anymore? Uh, I don't believe so. I believe he did say in his promo that he's a free agent. Because I was so. just wondering if this was a connection where we might see more NWA AEW crossover type appeal where, you know, like other wrestling promotions, non-WWE are okay with having their champs, you know, show up on other shows because it builds both brands. Rono? Uh, just are you excited about the Cody versus Jack Hager? That'll be his first. I know oh, it's yeah. not officially a pay-per-view. Fighter Fest will be, you know, a, a Wednesday episode, but they're treating it like a pay-per-view because it's a two-week event. Yes, definitely excited that. And I would love to see a little bit more uh, cross-promotion if that be um, the plan because it uh, to be open to using more talents, giving people a little more exposure, and as well as sharing what they have with the indie talents. It's a win 
for everyone. I know that uh, Danny Jordan, uh, she's a female wrestler uh, who I saw on the bottom line. She's a, an indie darling, so it does make sense. And it's a way for them to basically kind of have a minor league. You know, they have, they have people from other promotions come in. If they get a really big reaction, obviously AEW is going to try probably try to sign them when their contract's up. And it would make total sense. And, you know, you, nothing wrong with being able to share talent. You know, WWE doesn't share too well, but it seems like everybody else doesn't. Absolutely. So the next match was the Young Bucks versus the Super Bad Squad. Now, this I thought was a fantastic tag team match. And to me, I thought it really highlighted uh, Kit Sabian and Jimmy Havoc. Uh, Butcher again made presence known when surprisingly FT to watch the back of the Young Bucks. Now the Young Bucks fantastic fashion, but right after the Blade and the FTR all wind up battling it out in the end, ending with both teams using their signature yet similar spike pile drivers. When do we see FTR and the Young Bucks head? So before I answer that question, I just want to say that probably the thing I have enjoyed the most about AEW is getting to see the Young Bucks on a regular basis because I've never been somebody who's been a big following of, you know, indie wrestling, New Japan wrestling, and I've heard about the Young Bucks. I've, you know, I've heard people call them spot junkies and, you know, their matches is just, you know, it's one spot after the other. These guys aren't true wrestlers. These guys are arguably the greatest tag team I've ever seen. Like the way that they work together and I just, I can't remember. It's been since eighties WWE wrestling where it seems like everything they do is a duo move. You know what I mean? That they seem to, 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 to take a beating and then set up a ton of moves together that are all exciting. Uh, Matt Jackson in particular is just like, I mean, it's it's almost kind of a shame that he has a brother and they're a great tag team because I think he could be the best wrestler in the world if he was an individual with the stuff that he can do uh, in every single match. But I will say I'm not digging this. I don't like this storyline, and they need to hurry this up because this whole, like, respect, I got your back, I'm assuming they're building a slow build to where, you know, they turn on each other. Nobody wants to see that. And AEW fans are just as smart as any other wrestling fans. We know it's coming. Like, give us what we want. When we saw those guys, when we saw FDR come to the ring to the Young Bucks, you were most excited because you're like, sweet, we're about to get a Young Bucks FDR feud. And we're now a month into this. And they're still buddies, even though we know they have real heat or at least social media heat. Who knows if it's a work or not? You know, so let's get this thing moving. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with you. This this is going to kill me worse than a Sasha Bailey thing <laughs> in that this was just straight heat from the beginning. And it's just like, wait, what? What do you mean you guys are pals? Like, I get the respect factor, but yeah. And we're still not getting any headway on it. Chop, chop. Let's, <laughs> let's please get it moving with this. I'm glad you agreed with me there. Uh, so Taz and Brian Cage cut another promo where it was a little surprising that Cage actually was able to speak, which that has not happened much since he's debuted in AEW. 
I thought he sounded pretty good overall. Uh, coming from the break, John Moxley cut his own promo. I, I just love Moxley right now, saying he's got demons, and the only thing keeping them at bay is hurting people. I, I really think they're doing a great job getting interest for this title match at Fighter Fest. And more interestingly, I, I could honestly see this match go either way. I could see, you know, Moxley retain because I, we, we've talked before, I think they're going to have a pretty long title reign with them because you're going to have Jericho's long reign, then Moxley's, and then all of a sudden the AEW title really means something. But I could also see with Cage looking so good and being such a big signing, come in and be the guy to throw Moxley. I'm really fired up about this match. Are you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And especially after hearing Cage talk uh, in this promo, I know it wasn't a whole lot, but it was like, wait a minute. This guy actually doesn't sound uncomfortable. And he actually can talk for himself. Oh, well. So now it does uh, give me a little more hesitation to say that Moxley is just going to easily go over him. Um, the the muscle versus the grit that that is that they're building for this, I am so on board, and they can keep giving me these little tidbits for the next couple of weeks, and I'll be ready. I mean, we're only literally two weeks away from the beginning, so if they do this one more time next week, I'm all for it. And I've said before that. I love Moxley when he takes on bigger guys because, you know, Moxley is actually a pretty big dude. And I mm-hmm. think his style works best when he looks like the underdog. And this will be a match that that definitely will be, you know, the case. And the other thing that's just interesting is, you know, the more I see of Brian Cage, the more I see of his athleticism, his size, and then the way he, you know, was giving a small mic moment, but it went well he's starting to remind me a lot of Batista when he first arrived and joined Mm. evolution, similar build, similar athleticism. And it was the same thing with Batista where they didn't let him talk for like the first month or two. Then they kind of let him get on the mic. It's like, Oh, he's not bad. And then within six months, I think to a year, you know, he's in the title picture. Obviously Mm -hmm. they've rushed that with cage, but cage had a lot more reps than Batista at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely see that. And I understand that comparison. So finishing out, the best friends put their number one contendership up for grabs to go against Les Sex Gods in attempted retribution for the inner circle, leaving Orange Cassidy a bloody mess the week before. Now, this was a brawl and definitely personal. And I have to say, no matter what happens with him in the future, Sammy Guevara is really good. Like there was a couple of real, like he's going to become, I, I can see it. He's going to be in the hall of fame of cells. This kid, like there was a DDT where he landed yes. and he just did the perfect stood on his head with is like, you're this young. And I can already see that this kid can just go into the hall of fame of cells. He was really great in that. So Sammy G did get caught up in the cameraman's cord right before Trent stacked him up for the win. After the match, Orange Cassidy shows himself to be the cameraman that uh, uh, Guevara got tripped up on and attacked Jericho. Now, do we see Orange Cassidy and Chris Jericho at Fighter Fest or at anything soon? So I, I got a lot to unpack from here. So you're going to have to give me a moment. 
they did they did make this match official uh, on Twitter. It's going to happen, I believe, the second week of Fighter Fest. But Orange Cassidy at least sent out a tweet saying it's on, and it was basically Jericho and him with the Fighter Fest, you know, uh, logo that they've had for all the other matches they previewed. So I believe that match is official. Uh, as for Sammy Guerva, like, my God, man, like. Again, I said this a few weeks ago, and I'm going to say it again. Sammy, quit selling so well. When you sell really <laughs> well, people want you to lose because you make other guys look like a million bucks. Because when he does offense, I'm reminded, and you know, I think it was Jim Ross who made the comparison of him to Eddie Guerrero. This is no disrespect to Eddie Guerrero. I think Sammy Werb is a lot better at 25 years old than Eddie Guerrero was mm. at 25 years old. Now, I don't know if Sammy will ever have Fair. the personality that Eddie Guerrero will, and that's going to be the difference of, you know, can he reach the heights that Eddie Guerrero did? But, I mean, if I had to bet stock on one guy in AEW that's one of the young dudes, you know MJF would be my first pick. This guy would be my second, and mm-hmm. he would be right behind me. <laughs> second of all, or third of all, I don't know, I've already made some points. I love the way AEW books matches. I mean, you got the best friends who are their number one contenders. I thought for sure when they set this match, I'm like, God dang it. They built this team up, and now Jericho and Sammy are going to come in. They're going to win it. It kind of makes sense for Jericho and Sammy to be the one to beat Hangman and, you know, and, and Omega and start that split. Like, this all makes sense. But, damn it, why would you build this team up? No, instead, they put over the best friends over these two guys – solidifying the build that they've done for the last three weeks, all while also still making Jericho and Sammy look strong because they lost because of interference from Orange Cassidy, which helps bleed into the rivalry between Orange Cassidy and Chris Jericho. If that's not perfectly weaving and winding your way through several different storylines and just tying it in a perfect bow like they deserve a ton of credit. And I'm the first guy to say I am not an AEW mark. I a lot of times try to talk from the other end because I get tired of the people who think that AEW can do no wrong. But wrong. this is why people love AEW right here. Yeah, absolutely, man. Like they put it all together and I'm it all up. Uh got it for uh, what Fighter Fest is going to be and uh, storylines that they've got great heat going in, uh, got great interest going in. One other thing, because we discussed this whew, in one of our first AEW podcasts. You know, I had asked you the question, do you believe Orange Cassidy can be a world champion one day? AEW is proving that they believe that answer is yes, and they are fastly approaching that moment because by putting him in this feud with Chris Jericho, by having him show a much more serious side at the end of that match, similar that we saw against uh, Nev- what is Neville's character in AEW? I apologize. I forget Pac. the name of Pac. Pac. Similar to the Pac match where we saw it briefly and then they went away from it. This is the best thing that could happen to Orange Cassidy. If he goes over Chris Jericho, I can go ahead and tell you he will either be the TV champ or world champ by the end of 2020 because otherwise there's no reason to rush this match unless they have very big plans for him moving forward. And I love it because I think the kid is phenomenal. I think the gimmick is 
one of a kind and just amazing. And I'm really excited to see what they have in store for them. Couldn't agree with you more there. So we're going to move on to NXT and we just gushed about AEW. I'm going to tell you NXT put on maybe just as good, if not better of a show. It started with Mm -hmm. a tag title Mm -hmm. match. 